will be over in the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll be looking at the next to the last chapter, the 21st chapter, Revelation 21. And um, this week, as I was trying to prepare myself to come and speak to you, I knew I was going to be preaching to you this morning and uh, trying to give you something to help you a little bit, because I think that's when we come to worship Jesus, but we want to give you something while we're here. And I try to help people when I'm preaching. And sometimes I need help before I can help you. And the way the Lord's been helping me this week has just been bringing my mind to heaven. And I hope that I can encourage you about heaven this morning. Some of you are believers in Jesus Christ. And you are looking forward to heaven. And I hope I can show you from the scripture why you've got something to look forward to. There are some of you who, whether you want to admit it or not, you don't believe in Jesus Christ this morning. And I want to show you the best, most better disposition you could possibly be in. And what you have to look forward to is not something to look forward to. But you can change that this morning by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm putting the invitation right up front. Why don't you go ahead and be encouraged in the Lord, Christian? Why don't you go ahead and put your faith in Jesus? Why don't you do that this morning? We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. I'm just going to be reading eight verses, the first eight verses of the chapter. I'm going to ask you, if you're able to, as I read these verses, to stand with me. I want to ask you to do so. I don't always do this. I don't think it's a requirement in the Word of God, but I do believe that it's a nice practice from time to time to show that we honor the Lord's words, because I believe, and I believe this church believes that these words come from God, that these are the words of Christ to His church, and we want to listen intently as He speaks to us. Revelation chapter 21, I begin in the first verse, I'll read down to verse 8, and here's what the scripture said. John the Revelator talking, and he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from your eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life for him. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I'm fearful and unbelieving and abominable, and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake. Which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Would you pray with me for just a moment, Lord? I want to ask that you bless the reading of your word. 
if you will, through your word and courage your, your people that appear, that you through your word will convict the hearts of those that are far from Jesus. That we will leave here with our eyes fixed, our minds fixed towards heaven, looking forward to that day when you will enter in and this curse will or as your present stage left. We ask this in Jesus' name. Welcome to Stephen. The end is near. The end is sooner than you realize. The modest about it is sooner than most of us want it to be. I know there's maybe one or two of you in here saying, I'm looking forward to heaven, but there's a lot of us saying, you know, I don't like it here right now. Let's <laughs> be honest about this thing. But there is going to come a time when what we see around us, everything we see around us is going to be no more. Because everything we see around us is finite. It's an end to it. Uh, but, uh, that means that there's going to come a time when it's all dead. In fact, that's why we see in the verse 1 of this text where he says that there's the first heaven and the first earth. They were passed away. The first heaven, the, the sky, the atmosphere, all the things that are around us, those, that's going to be gone. The first earth is planet. That's all I've ever known. I've not been to any other planet. I don't know about y'all, but this is the only thing I've ever known, this planet that I'm standing on. But the Bible tells me there's going to come a time when it's going to be no more. It's going to be gone. It's all going to pass away. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall burn or melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There's going to come a time when everything that you've ever known, everything that you've ever known, is going to be no more. It is going to be gone from this earth. But as much as that's going to be gone, the Bible also says while that first heaven and that first earth have passed away, that's not the end of it all either. Because he says at the beginning, he says, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. This is what we commonly think of when I say, when I in, in regular talk, I was talking to you and I said, what about heaven? This is what we think of. Is that new heaven and that new earth? That is what comes to our mind when I'm speaking of heaven. Now we can talk about whether that's technically correct or not. All you want to, but I'm talking about the way we think about heaven. That's what this is. That time when the old is gone, this earth is burned up, and there's eternity. That is what heaven is. Now the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about heaven. Um, my wife and I bought a book not too long ago. Uh, it's Randy Alcorn about heaven, and it's a pretty thick book. And he talks a whole lot about it. It's got some good things in there. To be honest, I think he would say this: some of it is him kind of putting two and two together, trying to figure out what the what the, what heaven looks like, because the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot. But in this particular passage, while there's a lot about heaven that God has chosen to. Shroud and mystery in this particular passage, he does reveal a few things for us. Among them, and we'll talk about each of them briefly, the curse of sin is going to be gone. The troubles that define my life and probably define your life here now, a lot of that's going to be gone. All that's going to be gone. Instead, what comes in is God moving in, God controlling, God taking care, God defining everything about these surroundings. So I want to just take a few minutes for you to turn your mind and your attention, if you will, towards heaven. 
to what this heaven means to me. But the first thing I want to show you is that heaven is a place where God lives in. Once you see this, in uh, verse 1, we've already seen it. The time's up. Everything's gone. There's no more seeing. There's no more separation anymore. But it says in verse 2 that John sees coming down from, from God this holy city, New Jerusalem, out of heaven. This is something that God has been preparing for quite a while. You may remember when Jesus was on this earth in John chapter 14. He says, I'm going to go away. He's having to do with the disciples. He says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is what he's been working on. This is what he went to prepare. This is that place that he prepared for us. He has prepared it. And he's saying, now it's coming and it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I don't know if you've ever seen these brides when they get ready, but I'll be honest, I've never seen an ugly bride. And I'm not saying a thing about it. I'm not saying anything about their personal beauty. I'm just saying something about a bride getting ready for her wedding day. There's just something beautiful about that. And if you don't think so, you just need to have your mouth because that's the way they're supposed to look. They're supposed to be pretty. You understand that? They're pretty. They're beautiful. And, and, and there's something about heaven that I believe is intentional here that if a bride adorned for a husband is beautiful, there's a, there's a beauty that's there, but that's not really the emphasis of this idea of the bride that is adorned for her husband. Sure, I believe heaven is beautiful, but it's really more about the fact that heaven, like the bride, is now ready, is now prepared. Is now ready to come and ready to be given to her husband, given to her, her new groom. This is, this is what she's ready for. So there's a point where, I, I, I just come back to my own, my own wedding day. This summer, July the 6th, I remember July the 6th, um, I've been married 25 years. And that feels like a long time to me because I'm only about 26, 27 years old. Um, Thank y'all for that. But I just remember 25 years ago, I was, I was young and didn't know, I didn't know much as my daddy says, but he was a speck of a lot. And I remember the one thing, I, I didn't know what, what I was getting into in terms of marriage and just all these things that you don't even understand. And some of y'all know this better than I do until you get into it, you know. But at that moment, I could not think of anything more interesting, more uh, more exciting to me than being with that woman the next step. I wanted to be married to her. It, it wasn't enough for me to, to be able to drop by her mom and daddy's house and spend an afternoon with her. It wasn't enough to just take her out on a date anymore. It wasn't enough to go and go off on, uh, go off on a little trip or something. It wasn't enough to do anymore. I wanted to be with her. I didn't want any delays in my in our relationship. I didn't want any more barriers. I didn't want any more interference. And I remember I was standing in front of the church, much like this. I was standing in front of the church, waiting, and then those doors open up, and she comes down. And yes, she was beautiful. But let me tell you, that was not even on my mind, because I knew how pretty she was. What was on my mind is, she's mine. I've got her. It's available to me. I have this woman. This, this barrier, this access is now open to me. That's what I was excited about. In the same way, just like this bride is adorned for her husband, that city of God, that heaven has been prepared specifically for these people. And now what God is doing, He is opening the door and saying, here is what I've been preparing for you. 
it is available to you. We have, as, as, as was just taught to the children about how Jesus, uh, well, actually, one of the children was teaching us about how Jesus is in our heart. Right? Remember him saying that? And he's right. That, that God was right. He's in our heart. And, and there was a sense in which that, that Christ is always with us, and that's absolutely right. But let's be honest with you, each other. Let's be honest with each other. It's just a little something that would be that's kind of missing. Don't get me wrong, y'all gonna do me wrong, and you're gonna think I'm speaking heresy. I'm not. I'm not. I promise you. I know God loves me. I know He's with me. But maybe I still would like to see you face to face, wouldn't you? Some of you that have loved ones, maybe a husband or a wife that has gone on before you, and you can think back to those times when that person was across the kitchen table from you and you were eating dinner together, and you could go out on vacation together, and you could spend that time together. Those are good memories. It's great to have the memory, isn't it? But man, wouldn't it be awesome to be able to be right there with him again? It's the same idea. I know that Christ is with me in spirit. He's in my heart. And he says in verse 3 that he is going to dwell with us. We are his people and he is going to dwell. What God is going to do in heaven, what, this is what heaven means, is God is going to permanently move in. He is not just sort of on the fringe. He's not on the periphery. He is moving in. He is with his people. He is fully identifying himself with us. Yes, he did so on the cross, and we are his people. There's no doubt about that. But this is the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate consummation of what he provided to us on the cross, that he is going to move in. He is going to identify with us. As that old hymn goes, there is nothing between my soul and the Savior. I will be in His presence. I will be with Him. Now, we can get a little foretaste of glory to God by giving our heart to the Lord, loving Him, worshiping Him, listening to the big choir like you had this morning, the, the songs are read, even the, the congregational songs, those things that give us a little taste of God's presence. Coming together with God's people gives us a little taste of that. That's not. It gives us a little taste of it. But man, if that's the case, I really is the real thing all the time, all the time. Oh my goodness. Heaven is a place where God moves in. That's what heaven means to me. Heaven, second of all, means to me is the place where the sin first moves out. You see, when you understand this about the character of God, where God is, sin cannot be. Sin, sin is actually. It is against, it completely is opposed to what God is. It is not in the character of God. Anything about the character of God is perfection and holiness and, and, and wonder and greatness. Sin is the absolute opposite of that, and God and sin cannot coexist. God has promised, as we read about it in Matthew chapter 1, and it's in verse 23, where he said that when Jesus came, his name was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. From the beginning, we were created. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that God created mankind to be with God, to love God, to know God, to, 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 to have a relationship with Him. That's why we were made. Yet sin enters into that picture, and God cannot stand evil. He can't stand wickedness. Uh, the Bible back it says that thou, speaking of God, are the pure eyes that the whole evil and canst not look on iniquity. God can't even look at sin. So now, in verse 3, we've seen God's moved in. He's there. He is permanently taking up residence, not just in spirit, but in actual presence. He is there. He is absolutely there. Verse 4, then, 
what happens. When God moves in, the tears are gone. You know those things that bring tears to your eyes? Some of y'all in the quiet moments when you're by yourself. I don't know what brings tears to your eyes, but I know that there's at least some. I think some hard-hearted ones among you, and no, no tears ever cross your, cross your face. And I don't care. Forget y'all for a second. We're talking about the rest of us that have hearts. There's something, there's something that brings tears to your eyes, isn't it? If, if that thing that brings tears to your eyes, that is no longer going to be an issue when God moves you in. It's going to be gone. He even says there that there's no more death. The way Paul writes about this in Timothy is that death has been a promise. A promise. It's a thing. It's not allowed in heaven. Heaven, is not, heaven does not allow for there to be any separation, any departure, any physical decay. That, that doesn't happen anymore. That's gone. That is no more. There's no more funerals, no more putting flowers on graves. There's no more crying over a lost loved one that we would love to see back again. There's no losing someone too soon. There is none of that anymore. That never happens in heaven. Death is gone. There's no sorrow. There's a lot of things that bring sadness to my heart. May or may not put tears in my eyes, but it definitely, it, I felt some of life every now and again. Man, I got some anxiety in my chest. So I don't care. I don't know if you ever had that fear. But then it's a bunch of That sorrow that you have, that's gone. It's no longer there. It also says there's no more crying. There's no crying. But the crying that he has in mind, he's already talked about tears. The crying there is that drinking out of frustration, that crying out. I'm so upset. I'm so angry. You ever been so mad you wanted to hit somebody? You ever been so mad you wanted to scream? That's the kind of crying he's talking about. That frustration, that anger, that agony, that hurt, that's deep and guttural inside of your bones, that's gone. That doesn't happen in heaven. God's taken that away. Then he says, there shall be, that neither shall there be any more pain. Nothing will ever hurt you again in heaven. Some of y'all are suffering with chronic pain because of physical ailments. Maybe you have a hard time breathing. Maybe walking gives you pain. Maybe just sitting still gives you pain. Maybe somebody's shoulder, and that pain is going to be gone. That's going to be gone in heaven. Those things are no longer. And maybe some of y'all have people approach you. Some of the things they've done to you, said to you, Cause to happen in your life, things that weren't your fault. They hurt you, and they shouldn't have done what they did. But that hurt, that is taken care of. It is a resolve. It is resolved for you in heaven. God is taking that away. It's all, all, every bit of it is destroyed in the fire that Peter was talking about. When God says, I'm done with this old earth and this first heaven, when He burns it all up, your pain, your suffering, your hurt, your tears, all of that gets thrown in the fire too. It's gone. It's taken care of. And I don't know what that's going to be like. I can't even imagine that, to be honest with you. I just that does it make that my mind can't get around all that. I just can't. But I'll tell you this. I don't think we're going to miss it one little bit. I don't think we're going to miss it at all. Because what God does in verse 5, He says, I make all things new. He that sat upon the throne, that's a, a euphemism that uh, God uses, excuse me, to talk about God Himself, the Father. 
And God the Father is making all things new. And when God makes things new, He takes us all the way back. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 at the end of creation. And God says, He sees everything He's just made, and He says, It is very good. It is very good. When God does something, He makes it perfect. He makes it exactly like it's supposed to. Everything works together the way it's supposed to. Everything fits together. Everything functions as it should. It is very good. And God is not going to take this earth and just sort of make a few tweaks to it. He's not going to just take this earth and say, well, let me move this over here and move this over there. What he's going to do is literally going to take, throw all of that in the fire. I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and I'm going to make it very good. He's going to make it all new. This is what God does is He takes everything out and He gets all the sin cursed out. He moves in and sin, the sin curse moves out. And I want, to, I want to make sure you see this here in, um, excuse me, in verse 5. He says, I'm going to make all things new. And He says, He said unto me, Write. So he's talking to God. He says, I want you to write this down, for these words are true and faithful. Y'all probably heard of politician or two along the way trying to stop for your vote, make a few promises to you. I won't debate whether they fulfill those promises or not. You'll have to be the judge of that. But we know how much to trust the politician's promise. At least I hope you do. If you don't, you'll learn. Don't trust the politician's promise. <laughs> don't trust them. But on the other hand, we've got God Himself saying here, I'm going to do this. And He says, write these words. These words are true and faithful. But it's not just the words that are true and faithful. That's what He says here. But if you were to go back a couple of chapters in chapter 19 and verse 11, you know that the one who's speaking, Jesus Christ Himself, His very name is true and faithful. The faithful and true one is saying faithful and true things. Why am I emphasizing that? Because I need you to understand that this, what I'm reading to you, yes, it's future, yes, it's not happened yet, yes, it's something to look forward to, but it is a foregone conclusion. This is going to happen. Because when Jesus says something, He means it. And He has the power to follow through with it. He is going to do this. This is done. You can take it to the bank. What does heaven mean? Heaven means to me that the curse is no more. Next, I want to see third, the third thing that heaven means to me is in verse 6. Because the one that's speaking here, he says, He said unto me, It is done. And he describes himself, the speaker describes himself, he says, I am no Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, if you were to look back at the, uh, the, the first part of Revelation, you would know that this is clearly Jesus Christ himself. He's describing himself as how Jesus talks about himself. That he is the Alpha and the Omega, the A to Z, the beginning and the end, the author and finisher, as the writer of Hebrews talks about it. The one who started it all and the one who will end it all. The one who's outside of time and space, who controls everything, is over everything. He's the one that's doing this. And he says here that he, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, he is the one who enables all of this to happen. I'm kind of you see. I want to explain this to you, but I want you to see that heaven is heaven because Jesus makes it heaven. You take Jesus away from it, you have the most perfect and beautiful thing you've ever had. It ain't heaven. It's something less than heaven. 
because Jesus is what makes heaven. In fact, he even said there in the next verse, or rather the last part of that verse, he says, I will give unto him that is the first of the fountain of water of life freely. He says, I, I, Jesus, am going to satisfy your soul. I know that even in heaven, there's something missing in you. There's something you need, something you desire, something you want, something that is deep inside of you that's missing. And he says, I'm going to be the one that gives you that, and I'm going to give it to you at absolutely no cost. I'm going to give it to you freely. Could you imagine having the one thing that the whole world wants? Think about this for a second. You got that. You got it in your back pocket. It's, it's at the house, sitting on the table. One thing, everybody wants it. How much are you going to charge for that? I'm telling you right now. If, I know I charge something for it. Let me tell you. I'll you be all past if you want to, but I'm going to charge something for that. Jesus, on the other hand, says, I've got the one thing this whole world wants. We're killing each other. We're starting wars because we want this. We're hurting each other. We're cutting each other off in traffic. We're stepping on each other's toes. We're robbing and stealing from one another. We're doing everything we can to get this thing. And Jesus says, I've got that thing that you need, but I'm going to give it to you as much as you want. Just come to me. Just come to me. Just come to me. He says, I'm going to satisfy your soul. He even says he's going to give us victory. He says in verse 7 that he that overcometh shall inherit all things. We know from other parts of Scripture that overcoming, the only way you're overcoming is First John says, if you that overcometh the world, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So if we're going to overcome, he says, we're going to be overcomers here. We're going to be victorious here. We're going to inherit everything. Well, then we all put our faith in Jesus. And when we do that, we get Jesus as our God. We get him. He says there that he'll be our God and we'll be his Son. And just trying to get across the point to you that in heaven, Jesus is kind of a big deal. In fact, you take heaven away, you don't have Jesus. And that matters. So, well, of course, that makes sense. But I want you to understand that if Jesus isn't important to you now, you're absolutely going to hate heaven. If Jesus is sort of a add-on to the perfect life that you're trying to create, you are not going to enjoy heaven. Because heaven, Jesus is not a mascot. He's not an additional thing. He's not gravy on top of those great biscuits. That's not who he is. He is the thing. He is the central point. He is the purpose. He is the cause. He is the reason that you are there. You take Jesus away, you ultimately have you know what you might consider perfection. You take Jesus away, that is, in one sense, what you might actually call hell, where Jesus is not. What does heaven mean to me? The place where Jesus is the king, where Jesus is in control. Lastly, I want you to see verse 8. It's sort of gives us a contrasting point here where he begins the verse, verse 8, in the verse that I'm reading, it says, but the fearful. But it's a contrast that's given here. You've got, here's what heaven looks like, but here's what outside of heaven looks like. He says, this is, a, this is in contrast to those that are in heaven. He says, these are the people who do not look to Jesus for their answer. These are people who do not come to him to get the water of life freely. These are the people who are looking for an answer, but they don't want it from Jesus. These are people who says are fearful. They're the ones who value men's opinions over God's opinions. The unbelieving, those who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
the abominable, those that give themselves over to the vileness, the pollution, the defilement of sin. And you say, well, Matthew, that's me too. And I'll say, yeah, and I am too. But you know what we need to do? We've got that pollution, the vileness, the vileness, and the defilement of sin. You need to go to Jesus, and He will wash your sins. He will wash you clean. But there are some who try to take care of this on their own. He says, those people, they're abominable. They're murderers. Those who don't honor the image of God and the fellow human beings. Whoremongers, the moral and the sexually impure. Sorcerers, those who seek and promote peace that is outside of the Prince of Peace, that is outside of the Spirit of Peace, but instead seeking in the occult, seeking in drugs and alcohol. The idolaters, those who seek substitutes for God and liars. Those who are like their father, the dragon, the deceiver of the world. These people have not come, as Jesus says in verse 6, come to me. He says, I will give you your first. I will give you the fountain of water of life free. But what these people have done is they have gone and searched out other fountains from which to slake their first. And these people, he says in verse 8, go back to verse 8. These people shall have heart in the lake which better with fire and brimstone. Those who drink from other fountains to find satisfaction for their thirst, they will partake in the lake of fire. This is what we commonly know of as hell. This is that eternal damnation for the wicked, those who will not find their peace and hope in Jesus. Those will be, as he says in verse 8, but. He contrasts those that are in heaven. These are people who will be excluded from heaven. God will not dwell with them. You will permanently move away from them. God will allow the full weight of the curse of sin to come down upon them, and they will be eternally in that lake of fire. All of this is to say, the whole point of this Bible that I'm trying to teach you about the whole point of human history, the whole point of your salvation, we talk about being saved and believing in Jesus, and all the point of all of that, the whole point of your very existence, the whole point of your life is this person that I've been trying to tell you about, his name is Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, if you've come to Jesus, if you find your hope in Jesus, then you've got something to look forward to. Heaven is your home, and it is amazing. Well, in ways that I can, I'm trying to describe it to you, but my words are clearly falling short. There's no words that anybody could ever say that would define it and describe it perfectly. But just know that if Jesus is your Savior, you have a place you can look forward to where God dwells forever, a place where the, all the causes of pain and sorrow have moved out. Place for Jesus is the one who's in charge all the time, every day. The place where there is no death and there is no judgment. And as I tried to tell you, you can enjoy some glimpses of it now. Absolutely. You should. You seek to do that. Love Him. Trust Him. As the, as the, as the, as the, the psalmist that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can do that now. That's available now. It's not we don't have to wait till we die to enjoy Jesus. We can enjoy Him now. But I do want to warn you, if you can't enjoy Jesus now, at some level, 
You may say you want to go to heaven when you die, but I don't think you do. Trying to get you to see that heaven is about our Savior. Heaven is about Jesus. And if you don't believe in Him now, unfortunately, you're going to get exactly what you chose the place of that God, the place of the full weight of the cross, the place where Jesus is not the answer. That's where it's Jesus even says, the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So what does heaven mean to me? Heaven means coming to Jesus to satisfy your soul. You get a taste of it now, but no one gets that. Would you come to Jesus to satisfy your soul? Like I told you at the beginning, I'm closing and I'm going to invite up those who are going to do the invitation as we do it here, but I just want to give you this invite, this invitation clearly, clearly, I'm going to repeat it from the beginning. If you're a believer, if Jesus is your Savior, if heaven is your home, you might just want to come to Jesus for just a minute and say, Lord, I'm hurting right now. Give me a vision of heaven so I know what I'm looking forward to. But if you're not a believer, you don't need to leave here without putting your faith in Jesus. He wants to save you. He's offered His salvation freely. He's giving it to you now. 